Now entering the Bitcoin Podcast Network. with an Ethereum podcast. I'm here today with Luis Quende and Maria Gomez from Aragon. Hi, Evan. Happy to be here. Hey, happy to be here too. So as a disclaimer, you can think of it as being sponsored by Consensus as I am a member of the Mesh. None of the opinions which I give or Aragon gives are Consensus opinions or anything like that. If you're happy with it, thank Consensus. If you're unhappy with it, blame me. For those of our listeners who don't know what Aragon is, let's let's start off by talking about how does Aragon fit in the Web3 stack? A lot of people are familiar with PAOs or decentralized autonomous organizations, and those are basically decentralized organizations that can be run by using smart contracts on an Ethereum blockchain or Ethereum-compatible blockchain. So basically what Aragon provides is a way for people to run decentralized organizations so that cannot be stopped by any central party or any government or any malicious actor, and that have very clear and transparent rules of how they work. And so, I mean, there are multiple examples of decentralized organizations in the wild today, uh, but those are very basic. For example, we could say that something like Bitcoin is a decentralized organization itself, but they're not very complex models. And that's what we're trying to do with Argon. We're trying to uh, make it very easy for people to create decentralized organizations. Like it can be anything from a blockchain protocol to a company or a nonprofit, but it's just decentralized and, you know, you can run it without having to depend on any third party whatsoever. I think of Aragon as being, or governance in general, as being one of the key pieces of the of the Web3 stack that, that is being built and needs to be built um, in order for the vision to, to, to be fulfilled. How has the project evolved since the sale? In our case, like we got started with the project way earlier than the sale. And so we kind of, you know, had a, a working prototype and all that. But the sale for us was a huge uh, influx in terms of users that wanted to use the product. It was, I think it was one of the, you know, fairer uh, like sales out there in the sense that we didn't do anything. We were totally ashamed that we had to do like a $100K pre-sale back in the day. And people are doing like $20 million pre-sales these days. So I think it was a pretty fair and like transparent sale back in the day that really favored the community. And so after that, you know, uh, I think the most important highlight was that we expanded the team to like 10 people that we are now. And back in the day, before and during the sale, it was just Jorge and me. And so that was just, you know, two people handling everything from developing the product to marketing, to communication, to, you know, kind of user support and just, you know, being in, in the community channels, uh, answering people. And now we are, we are 10 people. And I think that was a huge change and it's really hard to find people who are really aligned with your vision because in our case like you know Aragon is not only like a crypto project it's something between a political party a sect and an open source project it's something very weird so getting the right people in was a very hard and time consuming process but I'm very comfortable with the with the team we have right now 
So it sounds like you don't feel like the project vision or even the the how you're implementing the project has changed much or since the sale. Yeah, I, I would say we still have like the the same values and we still communicate the same way. And we are trying to be as transparent as possible. Uh, what I would say that it will change is how the governance structure works. So in, during the sale, we were just a team of people working on Aragon and owning the project. And now we're trying to start uh, kind of distributing that away to the community. So in the future, like the team that we have now, maybe one of the teams working on Aragon, but you know, it will be just one of the teams, not the only team. So I would say that's the key change that we will try to push forward this year uh, to just redistribute the governance of the project to the community away from the current team. You talked about growing the team as being one of the biggest things. How, what's your hiring process like? So our hiring process, I mean, in the beginning, and, and you know, in the beginning, it was kind of very funny because our hiring process was kind of non-existent. So we just hired like people who uh, thought were interesting or that you have profiles were interesting. And that went incredibly bad, like terribly bad. Um, but now we have a different kind of process in which we first kind of run a cultural fit interview. So we we use a like a hiring agency called Human.sh, and basically they run this very high cultural based filtering process in which they check if the if the values of the candidate are actually aligned with the values of in our case Argon. Uh, and as I said, like we are very we are very politically motivated and we are very conscious that we have to hire people who are also motivated by our own ideas uh, of decentralization and empowering people. So we couldn't have like a fastest, for example, in Aragon that wouldn't work. And so we ran that first interview. And if we detect that the person loves freedom, the person empowers, you know, open source, all of that, then we move to a hard skills like challenge. And then uh, if the, if the person uh, you know passes that, then we go to founders interview, and after the founders interview, the final step is to do an in-person trial week. So we uh, fly the candidate to you know a physical location, and we gather some people that are going to work with the candidate, and we just work for a week. And if the if the person if there is a mutual match, then we we hire the candidate. But since we are a remote team, like that final in-person step is super important. And also, I would, I would, uh, adding to that, uh, for us, it's, it's super important that to to see if they got, if they get the 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 shift of that is happening right now. So, for example, we noticed that um, a lot of people within this space they still compare teams like us to startups to traditional startups, and they think on 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 those terms, you know, like putting these new tools into this old model, and and this is totally different. We, we normally say we are more close to what an open source project is than, than to a startup, like a traditional one. So the way it, it, it works is, is, is very different. Now we have this, before these open source uh, projects, they, most of the people were doing and joining those projects just because out of love and, and out of interest. Now the same is happening, but now it's not only for free. We, we do have these um, new tools to incentivize uh, this work and to and to to pay for that work. For, for us, it's very, very important that they get that, that difference because, for example, in the case of the Aragon team, and like Luis said, this, this year for us is key to start transitioning the power from from this team, centralized team, to, to what the network would be. And for that, we need to start as of now, in, in all sense. So 
The development of the product is super key, of course, but also one key part is that the that those rolling out those governance models and, and experiments off chain first of course so we make sure that when the network is ready we will we will we will be able to 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 transfer all, all those powers included the money there also for projects like us legal strategy is very key as well we are setting the path of these new organizations and so there are a lot of things that nobody knows yet and so for example for us we normally say we are going to transfer this money to this uh, network and we have to think of what does it mean transferring that money from this foundation to this network. What do we need according to the legal system we are operating under for if, in order for that to happen and, and for that to happen in, in a safe way as well. So that's a really interesting point. How are you thinking about transferring the money? Because, of course, the ether has gone up quite a bit, so the the project has is pretty well endowed at this moment. Yeah, I mean, I, I can answer from like not a legal perspective at all because like I I have I have no idea about legal. Probably Maria knows uh, more than me. But in like in our case, what we always thought is that we were not like I mean we were a centralized team raising this money in the first place. But we only raised that money in a centralized way because there wasn't a way to, you know, do that as a DAO because that's what we are building right now. So if we could, what we have, what we could have done in the past is to raise the money by creating a DAO and then, you know, people contribute that money and they are the ones in charge. But since we were not able to do that, now the, like the, the thing that is, you know, morally correct is to take that money that we have, or you know, most of it, and then uh, redistribute it back to the, the to DAO. That will be a DAO of the Argon, you know, network token holders, and they will be able to do as they please with that. Of course, that's very dangerous because uh, if you happen to have a governance system that has been not properly tested, then you know that money can basically disappear, and the ANT, uh, you know, the token goes to zero. So that's very important to like test the governance system out before. And also, we are touching like we are like sailing uncharted waters in the sense that nobody has ever tried this kind of very complex governance system before. We have tried like simple democracy with you know civil resistance because of you know national passports and IDs and all of that, but we haven't tried any other like governance methods ever in the history of mankind. So we have to be very cautious about that. So uh, what I would say is that it will be a very slow process. We will start transferring you know one thousand ether, then ten k ether, and then you know seeing how it, it evolves and finally transferring the the vast amount of the funds. Yeah, and also yeah, it, it's going to be very gradually, and so and one of the things that. Um, for example, in my case, I used to be a corporate lawyer, and and I just I always say if it wasn't because I was a lawyer before, and plus I was a Colombian, I, I wouldn't be as interested as I am in this technology, and and especially in this in this uh, project like Aragon. And what I see is that in terms of corporate law or commerce, regulators are always very open. And so sometimes you can have situations when the law doesn't say like. The law they, it's not that they, it's prohibited to 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 set up a decentralized autonomous organization. It's just that 
it, there is nothing said about that because it's something totally new. Another part of our work is going to be to, to talk to those regulators, um, make sure they understand this technology and what we are trying to do, um, and, and to, to see how we can set that path. In, in you know, we are changing things. Uh, we are changing the, the, the way you used to, to organize, you know, like, like this typical kind of organizations. This is a new thing that is enabled by these new tools. And uh, it's not that uh, regulators are initially close to that. They are, on the contrary, especially in this in this area of law, they are very open. So, so it's something with time, you know, so we are starting working on that, on that as of now to see in the future, like let's say uh, somewhere maybe the at the end of this year or next year, because first we have to make sure not only that it's not only about launching the network, but making sure that that network it, it works properly and that that is it is safe. But as of now, we are starting to 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 work on on that strategy as well. So, so one of the ways you talked about taking the training wheels off was in the amount of money that you that you put into the DAO, but you also re- referred to forms of of voting and governance. I, so, I guess. Tell me about how you also think about, you know, taking the training wheels off of the the, the voting aspect and, and, and what you're exploring. We're exploring multiple governance models. So voting doesn't have to be necessarily democracy. With these very complex systems, we can try new governance models. For example, one of them that Vitalik described a lot of times is footarchy. Uh, in which we uh, basically leverage the power of prediction markets to create better governance and, and incentivize long-term behavior and, you know, this kind of uh, behavior in which you prioritize the long-term versus the, for- the short-term profits. So we have this thing called Aragon Labs, which we will officially announce soon, in which we are trying out different governance models. And we have a member of the team called Luke, which is just like a governance researcher and tries out different like governance models. And what we're going to do is we're going to explore them in the in the in the blockchain and we're going to try to push some of these models to the mainnet and try to encourage people to break them and so um, we are exploring quadratic voting uh, we're exploring liquid democracy and we're also exploring footarchy as the first kind of experiments and i mean i cannot wait to kind of have that first governance models in the blockchain and just let people kill them and then you know uh, enhance them and repeat the process all over again if you did something like fruit turkey, how would you incorporate like Gnosis or Aug? Yeah, exactly. I would require that prediction market component, yeah. Do you also see any sort of integration with, with Gitcoin or Git Token, I guess is its competitor, as like making it easy to incentivize the... Oh, yeah, totally. I mean, uh, we're super excited about open source sustainability. And that's, I mean, the first use case that we are targeting is just like crypto protocols. So people are able to, you know, vote and govern those protocols, such as, for example, Zero X, Status, all of those. Uh, but the second thing we want to work on is open source sustainability. So making sure that Gitcoin, Gittoken, uh, all of these different like projects can actually use Aragon. And therefore, if you are an open source project, you can use Aragon for fund management, you can use Aragon for, you know, racing funds, all of that. And then Gitcoin or Gittoken or whatever for 
actually incentivizing contributions. And so, because I mean, if we can make open source sustainable, it's a huge, huge step forward in terms of sustaining the core development for blockchains. Because if we don't do that, then we're going to have some tragedy of the commercial scenario for blockchain development, which is going to be very funny because the blockchain was supposed to solve the tragedy of the commercial scenario. So mm-hmm. we have to work on that. Yeah. Yeah, that's definitely what keeps me up at night. And like the long-term governance problem of these tokens where even even when people follow best practices and lock up their tokens for a couple of years now, after those years, you know, like if, if something like Aragon and, and Gitcoin and, and whatnot aren't built out, then these things have very uncertain futures. Yeah, I totally agree. Maria, you said you were a corporate lawyer and that you're from Colombia. Do you wanna do you wanna tell us a little bit more about yourself between growing up in Colombia to now? Yeah, sure. So I grew up in Col- in Colombia, and um, well, um, I think a lot of people know. Sometimes in Latam, the situation is not to live in Latam is is not as easy as as is, it is to live in in the states or in Europe. So when I finished my studies, I I just moved to Europe, and it was in Europe where I I work as a lawyer, as a corporate lawyer in different law firms. After that, I I was in love with with law. And, and 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 what what with what I was doing, but um, at some point I was I needed to to find something else, and then and then I found uh, Bitcoin, and then from there everything changed were for you, me. Um, were you mostly doing like mergers and acquisitions, or helping people set up deals, or? Yeah, I was mostly doing um, merging, mergers and acquisitions. It was it was corporate finance and and then afterwards, uh, yeah, I found Bitcoin. I moved a little bit to I my first job was with an exchange and I was in business development for Latam for that exchange to to test if to go if open their market in Latam was uh, was was good or not for them. And then afterwards, I I discovered. First, I started reading about smart contracts on the Bitcoin blockchain and all those different projects that people were trying to set up and then they couldn't because of the limitations of Bitcoin. But then I found out Ethereum and and then I started like getting into some of the communities of the early projects and I found out uh, through it uh, about Aragon and, and that's how I... I get in contact with Luis and Jorge. Luis, uh, your turn now. You've uh... yeah. I mean, I I got started with free software when I was twelve, and for me that was like mind blowing because um, um, I mean I wasn't born in Colombia, but I was born in kind of a very you know humble family, and so I I couldn't do the things that I like wanted to do because they required hardware or they required like expensive equipment and all of that. And so open source turned to be like something super cool because I could just create the stuff without having to buy it, like you know software doesn't require any industrial processes so it's all for free and you can create and download or whatever and so open source was mind-blowing for me and then i i moved on to more uh, the the startup ecosystem and but after that i like ultimately realized that what i wanted to do was open source when i when i started with bitcoin i think that was like 2011 or so when i first like read about bitcoin in the white paper and my mind exploded completely after reading the white paper. And so I've been working on multiple Bitcoin projects ever since. One of them was called Stampery, which was the most complete like blockchain timestamping like architecture and, and project, which made it really easy for people to timestamp stuff on the blockchain. And then after that, you know, I kind of thought DAOs are like a very cool concept that after the DAO, and you know, the DAO was a huge fiasco. 
nobody took the risk and you know had the basically the the ability to give you a step forward and recreate that awesome concept for the ground app and make it work. And so with with Jorge who who is my uh, co-founder and, and also one of my friends that I met like many, many years ago when we were like 15 and 14 or so, we all started and actually we were started working on Aragon just after Trump won the elections in the US. And before that, we were working on a very Silicon Valley focused startup called Patent, which was supposed to eliminate patent trolls. So that was quite a pivot from eliminating patent trolls to creating DAOs. You know, since since then, I'm like super humbled by the team that we have and, and it's been quite a journey. We actually got started on the, I think it was 11th of November of 2016. That was the first version of the white paper, which is like super early and I'm probably ashamed by it, but um, that was the first version of Argon. You, you know, Brian Armstrong put up uh, his, like a few months ago, he put up his uh slides slide yeah. deck from from y combinator from you know from like pitch day uh for coinbase and uh, you know his his comment was the same right which is like great things can come from from humble beginnings um <laughs> it just is yeah. a is a throw off to you saying you're ashamed of uh or w- might be ashamed if you were to read it again it's like <laughs> a great lesson for entrepreneurs right it's like you know you have to get started somewhere you'll you'll probably probably won't like your first version but gotta do it Maria, I, a quick follow-up. You said that you were working for an exchange and in investigating Latin America market. Did the exchange end up opening there? I'm curious no. because, yeah, that's what I figured because, <laughs> I mean, the problem is the governance problem. <laughs> like, exactly. Every, yeah, every every like, every like company I've talked to that wants to go into Latin America like and to do a crypto exchange, they just end up being too scared away by the governance of the country and the banking laws and and whatnot. Exactly. However, you know, I think it's doable. The only thing is that is that is is very costly. So what I found out during my work there was that actually the banks they they were very, the key ones. Some key banks they were very open to it, and actually they are very up to date with everything that is happening. Of course, they are trying to you know figure out how to stay in the business but but also regulators are not that close to it but yeah there is a lot of time and 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 plus you have to it's not like in europe you know you open one um one uh, legal one legal entity in one of the countries and they can be recognized in, in other countries for exchanges um sometimes to have a bank account opened in 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 the different countries they they need a legal entity so it's like they have to open a legal entity in every country and and, and that's a lot of cost indeed it is yes i i do remember how hard it was <laughs> <laughs> i wanted to also jump back to what we were talking about earlier which was hiring uh, and you y'all emphasize values can you give me more context and color on how you filter someone out like no yeah totally i mean i think i think the kind of the the question made short could be can anyone bullshit you into tricking and thinking that you know they have the values they are supposed to have to you in aragon and the answer i mean there is like nothing's perfect and they could probably try that although i mean if they make it to the in-person trial like when you are interacting in person with someone it's very hard to 
tweak their values. And also they like most of that kind of people don't ever pass the first interview because it's very easy to see when someone is trying to bullshit you regarding values. Just because the way they express themselves and the way they like the words they use and all of that. I mean the, the like the these human dot such guys are like very good at filtering that kind of psychological patterns. I, I would say that also people have their their history, right? And, you know, their history kind of talks about their background, talks about why they got into crypto. And it's very easy to tell the ones that got into crypto is because they wanted to make a quick buck versus the ones that actually live in crypto or have some, you know, familiar drama with banks or stuff like that, which made them, you know, very, very angry at the current system and wanted to make a positive change in the world. I think it's very easy to discern them. Yeah, and, and I would think, I would say that also for us, it's like, it's two things are very important. Not is it, First, that they are not here for the money. And second is that they are not here also just because of the technology. I think the future is going to be this mix of humanists and, and technologists. And, and, and for us, it's key that, that people are, are interested not only because of the technology, but because of the social impact that this technology is, is having. So whenever we hear things like, you know, oh, because I was, I was looking to, to work into crypto because this is the cool thing to work on. I mean, for us, yeah, that's a big uh, no, no, no. And also yeah. part of the process of hiring people, we, because we are a remote team, one of the, when we are kind of sure that, that we like that candidate, we make them spend a week with, uh, with the people from the team normally Luis and Jorge and whoever is is going to be directly working with them so so they spend like a whole week with us in here in Madrid or somewhere else and that's a whole week of of not only work we do work with that person but also you know it's it's a kind of a personal thing as well how how did you more color around how you got involved with with Argon Maria like did you start interacting online did you meet at a conference no yeah it was it was, uh, so of course, for me uh, to tell you why I was interested in Aragon is like, very obvious. Um, I don't understand how lawyers and especially corporate lawyers don't get crazy about this or get afraid about this because now smart contracts or not even this technology is not going to, to get rid of the lawyers. On the contrary, the work is is going to be more interesting. Uh, but the way we can't, I, I, when I read about it, I immediately send a, a message to, to Luis and to the founders and I explained my interest, why I was interested in Aragon. And, and, and I said, how, how can I help you guys? I, I don't care if I have to make the coffee. I don't care if I have to do whatever. Let me help. And, and we started talking from there. It was a kind of long, quote unquote, long because it was yeah. like <laughs> one or two months. And then and then we finally met in um, in New York in a conference. Yes. And we discussed and we had a, a lunch at that moment. We I was like the second employed um, after Tattoo, our director of communications. And at that time, we didn't have this trial week that, that I was talking about that we spent the week with, with the candidate. But we did talk a lot and we discussed a lot about how I could help them and, and, and how I was seeing the things. And, and I guess it was that they couldn't see that I was really interested in this. Not I wasn't here just for the money. 
And, and also I, I would add that it was super kind of interesting for me to uh, like read Maria's profile for the first time because, you know, she had like a corporate lawyer background, but then she had like this tutorial of how she started learning Solidity. And I was like, mm, a lawyer that is coding Solidity, like is, that does exist in the world. Um, <laughs> and so it was it was a very funny process. Yeah, that's another thing. And, and you know, I, I was a... For me, I was never interested, and I'm still not, like, I don't love gadgets and, you know, to have the last application or have the last iPhone or whatever. I don't care about that. But when I found out about Bitcoin and, and then Ethereum, I was like, you know, I, I need to really understand this. Probably in the future, it's not going to be that key to understand how this works. Uh, but right now we are in a stage that we did we, people that even if they if we are working from the business side of the things we really need to get this and we really need to 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 get how those things works and and how are they more secure how are they they operate in order to be able to to work here how is learning solidity going you've got some pretty good people to learn from <laughs> i know i know but they're probably moment, keeping you too busy doing other things yes exactly <laughs> i was going to say that since i joined I had to stop that a little bit, yeah. but actually that's um, that's one of my key things for this year. Um, and that's part of my plan for me as, as, as Maria working in, in Aragon. It's, it's like to continue that, that learning process because I have to stop it a little bit. At the beginning for me, oof, it was, it was kind of a mess. I mean, it is kind of messy. You know, I started learning, of course, I, I didn't start it with uh, Solidity. I started learning about JavaScript and, and, the whole framework and it's it, it's sometimes it's very confusing but and what i found out it was you could not imagine how similar the legal system and the and the code system works how, how similar those processes are uh, it was it, it blown my mind away as well those two worlds they are very similar why do you feel they're so similar so for example in law we have these different kind of layers and um and, uh, and 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 see like like the protocols and you have these applications more or less in in low that that works more or less the same so you have this this general law and the constitutions and then and then out of that and out of how you interpret those um, general laws people come with uh, these specific rules that specific rules I think is is that that people start especially governance governments and, and, and political groups are they start making that beautiful system that is in the in the in the in the in the protocol level making it according to their interest with these specific rules and and that's what we need to take out you know we don't need this kind of a lot of intermediates we can work directly with this base legal protocol that we have yeah. and because we don't know we don't need more intermediates and we don't know we don't need more uh, those little specific rules um we can avoid those things with with the smart contract of course of course um and, and with this new technology of course that's not from from day to night and i'm not saying that everything is perfect yeah. i mean we, we still there is a lot a lot of work on that amen to to cutting out intermediaries let's transition into talking about Aragon Nest. First of all, tell me what it is. So Aragon Nest is a grants program that we initiated in order to fund uh, like very basic and very kind of horizontal 
tools for the Ethereum and Argon ecosystem. So there is, I mean, the like, open source is not sustainable today. Like that's something that we were just talking about. Like you know, it's very hard for projects to sustain themselves. And the easy path right now for everyone is to like you know, quick ICO and and then you know, figure out what to do with a token and all of that. But that's very time consuming, and that's also like not always makes sense for every single case because there are things that you know doesn't make sense for them to have a token. So before we figure out open source sustainability, we thought that it's a great idea for us with you know the amount of funds that we have to put some of that funds into projects that the community thinks that are important for, for example, developer tools for Ethereum or Argon apps that should exist or I mean, even like educational and like tutorials and just great content for people to learn about crypto, just things that should exist, but for some reasons, uh, specifically for the tragedy of the common scenario that we are running into, uh, because we don't have open source sustainability yet, kind of fund those projects. And um, we want to basically uh, open an application process probably during the next couple of weeks so people can just apply for different grants that we will open for kind of solving multiple problems that there are today in terms of developing dApps and in terms of interacting with the blockchain. So just watch over our blog for the next couple of weeks so we're going to open the application process soon. Now, Chris Berniski and Joel Monegro, are, are they are they the ones that are deciding? Are they on your committee? Well, like, what is their exact involvement? They are in our committee. They try to be very involved with, with, with the governance of the project. And so basically they are going to help uh, source the and filter the different candidates for grants. Um, so they also helped architecting the whole program uh, because, I mean, it is not very easy to create these kind of programs because, like, nobody really knows how this works. And I think the only similar approach to this was uh, Ethereum's dev grants that they kind of ran a couple of years ago when Ethereum got started, but they right. then stopped doing that. So there wasn't like really any reference that we could use. So it was kind of architecting everything from the beginning and thinking from the ground up which grants to give, where the size of the grants, where the process, all of that. Did you come up with, it sounds like you have a fairly open-ended process where I guess, I guess I'm a little pre-announcement, so I'm a little ahead of the curve, but will it be more yeah. like, will it be more like these are the things we most want to fund and, you know, submit us a proposal and we'll negotiate it or? Yeah. So will you have specific things yeah. like bounties wise or, or what? Yeah, yeah, the idea is that we have like, and I will let Maria expand, but we basically uh, want to have like different proposals initiated by us and then different teams competing for that, like fulfilling that proposal and, you know, kind of creating requests for funding. And the process it's going to be probably very similar to how GitHub issues work. Like, you know, you open a, a GitHub issue, for example, that can be uh, Ethereum is not scaling. And then if you have a solution for that and you need a grant, then you open a pull request and you say, hey, I'm fixing this issue. Uh, this is my roadmap. This is the money that I need. And that's it. Yeah, we 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 want to, to especially... Um, during this week, uh, we are announced um, the specifics of the project. We announced already Nest more on a on a general basis, and and now we want to announce how the process is going to be. We want to to have like a very clear process for people to to apply 
but also, and, and that process, of course, is going to have several points. However, we don't want something super rigid. We want something that, that is flexible, and, and we are going to be talking to the teams that are that are going to be applying to make sure that we are a match, that they are a match with, with Aragon as well for us. That's, that's very important. So you'll have a committee of five people or something like that that essentially decides on, on these things? We are working on the structure of the governance um, for initially um, the first, we, we, we are going to have several levels. So the initial level is going to be placeholder in Aragon. And so that would be Luis and Jorge. And then the second level, we want the community to participate and we want to start, we, we are, uh, the developers are building something that we call the signaling app. And through that app, we want the community to be able to, to guide, give us a signal on what projects they think it would be, it, they would like us to, to fund. Does that mean that level two is a, a couple months in the future when that product is ready? We want. I think we were going to. We are going to be able to, to have the community involved as of the beginning. Okay. Yeah. I, yeah. I, since it's only signaling, like that, that that shouldn't be a problem. Uh, we actually want to like use Aragon for that. So probably when our next release is out, we'll implement that system. So I'm not sure I quite understand that. <laughs> okay. So you have two levels. Do you have to pass both levels? Is that the idea? Or is it the first level is lower funding requests? Oh, okay. No, yeah. So it's a, it's it's really very simple. It's just that for for someone to get a grant, uh, there could be an approval from like a uh, placeholder Narigon and then an approval from the community. Uh, so that's really that's really it. Um yeah, it's like it's like the first um, placeholder in Aragon. Uh, they are going to just filter out the, the 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 applications, and then and then and then the community. We want them involved to to help us. So it's not only going to be at the second level. It's not only going to be the community. It's going to be the community probably, and 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 also Aragon and placeholder deciding on the on the final finalist of of of, of the project. So so the ones that we are going to. Fund. It's, of course, we, we are working on, on the whole details of, of, of the thing. But yeah, that's going to be more or less what we are going to do. The idea is that in the beginning, we are going to, until we have this feedback mechanism, we are going to be the ones deciding the grants to give out. But then once we have the feedback mechanism, we still make sure that we choose, like, uh, like make the first filters. You know, we don't have any dangers of probably the governance system failing and, you know, some weird scamming project getting through or stuff like that. But then after we give our first like filter, then the community is the one finally deciding. And as you said, that's going to be an interesting experiment for governance. And that's one of the reasons we are doing it, just to kind of dog food how decentralized governance work uh, and, and research into that. Yeah, from, from now on, uh, especially after the launch, we are going to start working a lot on making the make sure the community will participate in, in, in the key things that we are doing. Of course, sometimes, I mean, we, we are experimenting with this, but we are going to experiment in a secure way and, and we will see. I mean, you only get to know if something works or not. If we t if you try and we want to use this as, as, as the trials uh, for the community to start building that muscle of, of participation. In, in. Nobody has done this before. Uh, people are not used to have this 
type of organizations where you can, if you want, you have ways of participating. And so we, we need to start exercise, exercising the community into participating in, in, in the project. Definitely. That's a, a big experiment, but it is a vital one for, for getting Web3 to, to work and make progress towards decentralizing society. Anything else that you feel like I failed to ask you or would like to talk about? I mean, I would just add something about Argon OS and how like developers can build um, like whatever they want with Argon OS and kind of plug it with all their governance systems, just in case there's like some developer like hearing this. Sure. Yeah. Do you, yeah, I agree. Do you want to add more more to that there, or you know, we have this very like upgradable and easy to use and pluggable architecture called Argon OS, in which you can create your own apps, and for example you can create a voting app and then that voting app can expose some permissions like for example open a voting and then you can assign uh, that permission to a token manager app and therefore uh, just by connecting those two apps you are giving the power to token holders of a given token to you know open votings and participate in governance decisions so it's a very pluggable and easy to use system for developers to create upgradable smart contracts and also front end apps uh, that automatically connect with other Argon applications. And I mean, if you are a developer, just like go check it out. It's github.com slash Argon slash Argon OS. Fantastic. Yes, go check it out. Well, thank you for joining us on the program. Thanks to thank you. Thank you for having us.